Welcome to episode 56 of Sharing Life Lessons. This is season 6. We are one spirit, one soul, and together we are creating a library of stories and life lessons. I am your host Hamida and I want to bring you stories because stories inspire, stories teach, and stories heal. Rumi said, Wisdom is like the rain. Its source is limitless, but it comes down according to the season. For those who are listening today, consider that your season has arrived. You are going to encounter so much wisdom that you will wonder. But there is only one answer to your wonderment, which is that your season is here, which is why the universe has led you to sharing life lessons today to dance in the rain of wisdom, which will be showered upon us by our guest for today. This will be a three-part series. Honestly, I did not want to stop listening to Amin, and nor will you. He has so many snippets of his life, each with an enlightening life lesson. So here we are with part one. Our guest for today is from Dubai. I got to know him when my friend Mumtaz introduced me to his Saturday master classes and communal guided meditation attended by four to 500 people at once. After only a few of them, I knew I had to invite him to be a guest on the show so that he could share his wisdom with all of us. And he graciously accepted. Everyone, please welcome Amin Daya. Welcome to Sharing Life Lessons, Amin. It is wonderful to have you on the show. And that too, all the way from Dubai. This is a global podcast, and I am so happy that I am getting a truly global perspective. Now, yours is not only a global perspective, but it's a very unique perspective. So I am so looking forward to talk to you. Can you please start us off by telling us something about yourself? Thank you, Amida. Firstly, I want to thank you deeply for inviting me, taking the time to have me in your podcast. When I look at my life's journey today at the age of 64, you know, I realize with much gratitude that I've been blessed with an incredibly diverse range of experiences that make me feel like I've lived many lifetimes in one. And I would also say that I'm an eternally grateful husband and father. My pride and joy is my family. I'm married to a most beautiful and amazing soul, Karima, who I refer to as heaven's most beloved because of the sheer humility, compassion, and elegance that exists in every element of our being. And she's been a great blessing in my life. And together, we've been blessed with four lovely children, two boys, two girls, who are also happy and successful adults, following their passions and interests in life and making a positive contribution. By education, I am a scientist and an engineer. And I have been blessed to work with inventing, innovating, and deploying technologies and solutions in cleaning and purifying water for drinking, especially in the developing world where water-carried diseases are rampant. My life's journey has taken me through such a diverse range of experiences, both material and spiritual in nature, which we'll talk about in a few moments. But these have also led me to become an author and a teacher of meditation, power of thought, power of the present, and living in harmony with science, spirituality, and nature. 
I've written seven books, primarily comprising of stories that form an invaluable avenue for teaching deep and sometimes complex life lessons in a very simple form, in a form that people of all ages can understand. And I'm in the process of updating and republishing all my books to join the digital era. One of my books called Invoked has just been relaunched in today's formats. Okay. And it's a very interesting story of a small village in Arabia in the year 600 AD, before the coming of Islam, before the huge transformation that occurred. And I've written this story through the eyes of a 13-year-old girl who's a courtesan. And I actually was witnessing the way her life unfolded, the events and the transformation that occurs in this community of Sarfites. And then last year around this time, I was requested to do webinars and masterclasses to help raise the spirits of people globally who were struggling with the COVID lockdown. So we have these webinars every Saturday and we've covered subjects such as meditation techniques, masterclasses, how to meditate. Even if you've never meditated, we start from the very simple and then go higher and higher, but through simple practical techniques that are not ritualistic, but more mindset oriented, training your thought. And all these years, I've been thinking that books is the way to communicate. We found that through these masterclass series, producing good quality videos and podcasts was an excellent way of sharing knowledge and making it timeless, very much like what you're doing. So these webinars have now become an integral part of people's lives. I have been joining you as much as I can see you when you are holding these masterclasses, you can see me. So let me tell you that I have been attending for maybe a couple of months now. And it is a space where it allows us to reset and I feel energized for the rest of the next week. So thank you so much for that. But here's my question to you. Is this still open to people who want to join? Sure. It's open to everybody. It's, uh, the, the theme is very universal. Yeah. So whether you practice this in context of your religion or your beliefs, and if you want to Practice it from a natural and science context, you can, so it's totally universal. It is free, and usually it is every Saturday of the month. If you feel you want to give back, then please join us, because the power of meditative thought when like souls come together is incredible. So we invite people to bring your positive energy and light and join us so we can share it together. Yes, and I highly recommend this. So folks, for those who want to join us on Saturdays with Amin, please look at my show notes and you will find uh, the email to be able to connect with them to send you the link. So, I mean, thanks a lot for all of that. And just from attending your masterclasses, I love the knowledge that I get from it, but also I know you tell many stories, which is why it clicked to me that you would be such a great guest on this show. And I know you're going to tell us micro stories, which is highlights of your life. So I am ready to listen to your micro stories. Thank you. Thank you, Amida, for your kind words on the classes. And I'm so glad you participated and are enjoying them. My, my story is actually quite, it's like a cocktail of different experiences. I was born and grew up in East Africa. 
I spent the first 16 years of my life in the beautiful coastal town of Mombasa in Kenya. And in 1968, my parents bought a farm outside of Mombasa, which was basically a piece of bushland. It was a forest and they put their life savings in it. And my father, brother, mother, and I, we worked together to develop this farm. And this is where I gained a deep love and appreciation for mother nature in that farm, because everything about it touched nature. We lived in those days in very difficult economic times because my parents had put all their savings in there. I got introduced to the world of business at the age of 11. I used to drive to school and deliver eggs from our farm and fresh produce at all the tourist hotels on the way to school. Mm -hmm. And then on the way back, I would pick up the empty trays and cartons and fight for the pricing of our produce and collect the cash and go home. My day would start at 5.30 in the morning. And I would, by the time I got to bed at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, I was completely done, but I was only 11. And at that age, I began to get exposed to the world of business and also how to communicate and how to deal with because the managers of these hotels were all from Europe. Mm -hmm. and we are growing up in this local African culture and how do you reach out to them and how do you get your fair share from them? How do you appeal to them in that positive way where they want to keep working with you? So I learned a lot from that and I think the importance of that communication, the importance of that recognition that you're never too small in front of anyone mm -hmm. uh, and you are never above anyone. So I learned that we all live life in a level playing field. Through my life, I've had meetings with prime ministers of countries when we're dealing with water, but I always look at them as equal to me, neither higher nor lower. To me, we are all equal. In the companies I subsequently built, the janitor had as much respect and was invited to our weekly meetings as were the vice presidents. But I learned that going to these big managers of big tourist hotels as a little 11, 12 year old guy and trying to do business with them. And they were hard negotiators. Mm -hmm. And that was a skill that I really came away with. We're all equal. And if you stick with that, you won't go wrong. I like how you're already starting to t give us your life lessons. And I'm taking the first one as being you're not below anyone. You're not above anyone. We are all equal. And time and again, that lesson has actually served me well in my life. And then when I was 16, or in our area where our farm was, we had a cholera epidemic. And this was a landmark event in my life because I saw this little girl who was plump and healthy. And a few days later, she had shriveled into a skeleton. Children were withering away. And here I am, a 16-year-old guy with a lot of energy. And I see this and I say to myself in that one quiet moment that I'm going to do something about this in my life, that children never have to die of water-carried diseases. And I guess the universe was listening to me. Mm -hmm. uh, and like all 16 year olds I thought that and then I went along enjoying life with my girlfriends and all things that a young 16 year old does 
I always aspired to be a neurosurgeon. So when I went to the UK for my education, I applied for medicine. And we have in the UK a UCCA scheme where you go into a field and then the universities give you offers. And I didn't get a single offer, even though I was such a good student. Mm-hmm. And I remember calling my mom in Kenya and saying, I don't know, is something wrong with me? I want to do medicine. I'm a good student. My grades are good. Why am I not getting into medical school? And she said to me that whatever the creator has planned for you will happen. So don't fight it. Do your best to get into medicine. But if an unusual door opens for you, walk through it. Mm -hmm. And so I remember my brother also trying to convince me to give up on medicine because you see, you had to lock in that university spot. If you didn't, then you could end up in in the clearance cycle where you might have to go just anywhere. And he sent an application on my behalf to Aston University in Birmingham for chemical engineering. I knew nothing about chemical engineering. I went for this interview and I remember the, the guy who interviewed me, they kept me there for a day, a whole day. And at the end of the day, they said to me, look, we are very interested in you. We're giving you an unconditional offer, providing you pull out of medicine and take this offer. And I thought about it and I said, bird in hand is a lot better than many in the bush. (laughs) Correct. I accepted that offer and I went into chemical engineering. Now, I had no idea what I was walking into Mm -hmm. because chemical engineering is 90% mathematics. It's a misnomer to think it's only chemistry. And I had done physics, chemistry, and biology, and biology at S level as well, so that I would go into medicine. I walk into university in my first day, and I don't understand a word of what they're talking about. Because I never knew calculus, I never knew any of this. And I was terrified by the end of the second week, where I thought I'm going in this class and coming out knowing less than when I went in. It's not a good feeling. And then I talked to my mathematics professor and I said, look, I I need your help. And he said, he was such a kind guy, bless his soul, wherever he is. He also lived on campus and he said, look, I know you're struggling. You can come to me at any time. I'll block even my evenings to teach you mathematics. Go buy the following books. I was committed that I wasn't going to give up. And by the end of my first year, I actually scored the highest mark in mathematics. And then when uh, I completed my finals, I passed with the first class honors in chemical engineering. And very few people, I mean, there was a handful of people in the whole of the UK with that qualification, because in those days also, it was very hard to hit those grades. When we were having cocktails, the guy who interviewed me, who was the senior tutor, introduces me to the head of department of, from Imperial for chemical engineering. And he said, we gave this guy an unconditional offer and he was our guinea pig. And I said, oh. And he said, we used to have a debate about, do you discriminate against students who have not done mathematics? Mm-hmm. We did an experiment, and he was one of them. When we interviewed him, we thought, he can do it. And here he has come out right at the top. And so that's when I realized I was actually a guinea pig. (laughs) 
What an amazing but, story. But then again, you talk of a life lesson there. Nothing is impossible. Yeah. Only one. Yeah. And what I'm also hearing is that it was universe's plan for you. And not only did universe have that plan for you, it sent earth angels your way to make sure that the plan finishes because that is what your math professor was. That's my, my math professor. So many others who came my way. It's hard for me to explain why, but you're absolutely right. And there was this, you know, every time you fall, you just get up, dust your shoulders and keep moving and do not give up. So my life taught me that nothing was impossible. And coming out right at the top, what are the odds of that? And that actually put me in a position to lock in on an excellent job with one of Britain's top engineering firms. The next thing you know, I went into the engineering industry. I got into technology. And that's how I ended up after I left my employer and had solid engineering experience in 1987, I set up my own technology company and I started working on mineral processing technologies, water technologies, environmental technologies. And over the years, I ended up developing some very advanced technologies for the treatment of water and for cleansing the environment. And this brings me uh, to my mid-30s when I was visiting Vietnam. And the technologies which our, my company had developed, we were putting it in small communities um, along the rivers because these communities would you know, have five to 10,000 people each. And then they live a few kilometers apart. So one community draws drinking water from the river and then they put their sewage in the river. The next community down the road drinks that water. So like this, infant mortality was very high. Mm -hmm. Health issues relating to water carrying diseases was a disaster. And when we went there and I felt when I arrived there, very difficult country to work for because it was the time of the US embargo as well. So we had to get special permission on humanitarian grounds to provide technology and water treatment. And there was no infrastructure that you used to where you just come and implement a project. You go into a community with very little. And we put in this drinking water system for 10,000 people. Mm -hmm. I remember when they did the opening ceremony, people were filling their water containers and dancing. Mm. And I was standing next to the mayor and I said to him, why are they, why are they doing that? And he said, for years we have prayed that somebody will come to us and bring us clean water. So we don't have to drink and bathe in this water that is more brown than the coffee here on our table. And he said, today it has happened. And when he said, today it has happened, I heard those words. Suddenly I froze and I go, oh my God, it has happened because I went back to the age 16 mm -hmm. where I said, I will do something in my life. All of a sudden here I am, it has actually happened and I did not plan it. I had very little to do with orchestrating anything. That thought actually was very pure. 
because it was unselfish. And that's where I learned the biggest lesson of purity of purpose. When you have purity of purpose, it can shape your entire life and it can flow to the benefit of millions. And here I was a 16 year old kid who thought that in that moment, which I'm now looking back, it was almost a spiritual moment for me. Then I couldn't get into medicine. Here I am, people are dancing with clean water and my company is putting drinking water systems everywhere. And thank God I didn't become a neurosurgeon because when I turned 40, I started suffering from familial tremor, my hands shake, because it's a faulty gene I inherited from my grandmother who was paralyzed. So if you wouldn't allow me to operate on you with those shaky hands, especially if I'm dealing with your brain. You bet I wouldn't. <laughs> so the universe was actually very kind to me. Somehow it was also known that my hands will not be steady. And I was given all the help, as you said, all the angels came my way. And here I was, I had delivered water system that was going to bring a drastic reduction in infant mortality in that area. A year later, Karima and I visited the same commune. It's a small town, it's called Lanzon. And as we were walking, people were grinding us by the hands and taking us into their homes. And they would open a little tap of water and show us, look, we got water. Oh. It was so gratifying. And once you put clean water in a community, you change the whole spirit of that community. They are not feeling down. They are not sick. They are not mourning the loss of their children. They're diverting their energies to growth. And you could see a change in those people. And so with God's grace, we ended up doing a lot of that. And I think anything you do in life, if it's based on purity of purpose, or it is based on a goal that benefits others, doesn't take away from them. You're allowed to benefit in your business, in your profession. That's a natural course. The universe will grant you abundance. But your direction, what are you looking to achieve? That's really important. And as I began to grow in the business world, doing a lot more work in the field of the environment, I, I began to realize very quickly that what is good for the collective is something you should always focus on over what is good for the individual. And I will say that because I have found a great amount of projects that I have walked away from because they don't fit that test. Mm -hmm. And if I had done those, it, I would be bearing the opportunity cost of not doing something more meaningful. So in my, one of my books, I talk of a 200 year test and I ask myself, because you will always be given opportunities. You shouldn't jump at each one. So I ask myself, how will this world be? Because my time is very valuable. It's mm -hmm. a rapid appreciating asset. One day the clock will run out on me. How am I spending it? And how will the world be 200 years from now? If I do this, and if it doesn't meet that test, then I will do something else. If you're a teacher, you pass that 200 year test beautifully mm -hmm. because years later, the benefit of the education you gave 
to these children whose generations have now evolved. You pass the 200 year test. Put water, you pass the 200 year test. You do things that eliminate poverty, you will pass that test. You do things that will you know, enrich communities by opening more entrepreneurial opportunities for them. You will pass the 200 year test. So that was the other life lesson. And these days, I mean, I'm also thinking about the frontliners who are putting their health at risk and taking care of the COVID patients. Absolutely. They pass the test beautifully. And they're angels. They don't have to be doing that. But they go in and they are blessed with that power of compassion. I've seen some interviews Mm -hmm. with frontline workers that are just reduce me to tears because they know the risk they're taking but they're still out there trying to make things better. So I believe in life you have a choice on how to invest your time. Your time is the most precious thing you're ever given. When you look at a newborn baby, I see the richest person on the planet because he or she has time. And after that, it's reducing to spend it wisely. And if you're going to do something, then have a measure. Mine's a 200 test. You can do a 20-year test if you want. Think about how you invest your time in what you do. So that was the other life lesson. I, I have a question for you regarding that. So I've had guests in the past who've come and said they are burned out in what they're doing. They can't find direction. And what they realized is that because they were putting everybody else before them, including their families and their co-workers and their bosses, and they were not taking proper care of themselves is why they got to be where they are, which is burned out. And so their life lesson was, I matter. I need to take care of myself first. Just like in the airplanes, they say, put the oxygen mask on yourself first before you put it on even your child who's sitting next to you. So that is one message. And your message is put the community before yourself. Can you reconcile both these messages for me, please? And see, if I can add to their dilemma, I saw a very simple episode when we were in Spain and we went for lunch to this little place in the vineyards. And there was a man who was sitting with his family and friends and in Spain, Sunday lunch in those days was very much family time. Mothers don't cook. Families get together, brothers, sisters, their husbands, they all get together. And this is a lovely part of their culture. Mm -hmm. And I saw this man and in this bodega, he obviously was a wine enthusiast. We, and we went for the paella. And he kept ordering bottles of wine and he was so proudly filling the glasses of his loved ones because this was his way of giving. And I was watching him. And then at one point, he ran out of wine because he couldn't afford to buy another bottle. And his face fell. And when I looked in his eyes, we made eye contact. I just smiled at him because suddenly he couldn't give anymore. He was like that burnt out person. Mm. And, you know, I smiled and I nodded at him. And subsequent to that, I wrote a saying in one of my books is that only when you are filled 
can you fulfill it? You can't pour out of an empty bottle. Mm, so interesting. As I said earlier, you know, I was doing work in the water area, putting in drinking water, but I was always making sure that I was okay, that my company was okay, that it was financially viable. Otherwise, tomorrow we would not be able to do it. So you have to look after yourself, absolutely. And this burnout scenario, so many people come across it, and sometimes it's a, it's a wake-up call. And it enables you to do more once you learn that lesson from the universe. Only when you build can you fulfill it. And you can't give what you don't have. Exactly. That simple example of a bottle, it was empty. What are you going to pour from it? And you, you learn from that small view. I found that in life, wherever I go, I watch as much as I can and take in as much of everything happening around me. And the things you see and the lessons you learn in these small things, like what I just shared with you, mm-hmm. you will find the extraordinary in the ordinary. If you care to look, you will find it everywhere. And universe is teaching us lessons in everything, but we probably just walk by it and not realize. So for me, that was a big lesson. I I love that story. Thank you so much for sharing that. I can't wait to hear more of your micro stories. What happened after you turned 30? We have 30 more years to go, (laughs) Amin. Listeners, Amin ended up fulfilling his commitment to so many that he made when he was 16. He wanted to be a neurosurgeon, but how would he? then save hundreds of thousands of people from dying from water-carrying diseases? So the universe orchestrated this whole string of events to make sure that Amin was able to deliver what he had wished with his heart. Each of our lives are full of such universal orchestrations. If only we care to look, accept, and believe. If you have experienced such an orchestration in your life, then please write to me at sharinglifelessons101 at gmail.com and I will read out your story in part two of my interview with Amin. And as always, here are my key takeaways from my discussion with Amin. One, we all are equal. We are not below anyone, nor are we better than anyone. Two, nothing is impossible, so do not give up. Every time you fall, you just get up, dust your shoulders, and keep moving. Three, if you have purity of purpose, then it can shape your entire lives and benefit many others. Four, this one is my favorite life lesson from this discussion. In the opportunity that is being presented to you, ask yourself, am I passing the 200-year test? Will the world be better off because of it for the next 200 years? If so, go ahead and grab the opportunity. But if not, then do something else that will pass the test. You can choose to do a 20-year test instead of a 200-year test. The number of years is not relevant. What is relevant is that in the long term, will the world be a better place because of what you did? And lastly, if you care to look, The universe is teaching us lessons in everything. You will find the extraordinary in the ordinary. 
I hope you have found something extraordinary in this episode today. I will bring you part two of this three-part series with Amin Daya next Wednesday. Until then, be happy, be safe, and be well. Mm-hmm.